everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 342. You found us! Recorded November 11th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I'm your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, as always, except the last two weeks when we weren't here, are your your friends and mine, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Oxygenier Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome, faithful Opie Heads. Opie Heads. I like that. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that one. That sounds too much like opium heads. That would be bad. I don't know. Well, you know, I was like thinking Radiohead, and I don't know why I was thinking Radiohead. And it just, you know, I mean, come on. 340 shows. Can't use the same thing every week. I like Radiohead. I was watching this random YouTube video because, you know, that's what geeks do. Um, And it was talking about how largely because of your brain chemicals at the time of adolescence, the music you were listening to between the ages of about 14 and 19 or the music that you think is the good music for the rest of your life uh, and all other music sucks. That's why That's why we say today's music sucks. And when we were uh, kids, the uh, our parents said there our music sucks. And, and that's just the way it's going to be. So that's why NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys are back again because people who are listening to it when they were 14 are, are now uh, uh, older and have some money. And uh, Radiohead was one of the things I was thinking of, you know, uh, POD, uh, System of a Down, uh, you know, the uh, the new metal stuff that was very popular about the time a certain age group of people are were coming to live uh, in, in radio in Lincoln Park. And, you know, and for me, it was uh, Def Leppard, you know, and, and that hair metal stuff. That was what uh, and I still gravitate to that all these years later, although I think my taste really gelled uh, in college closer to 20 than than 14 but still in that range and uh is that is that true for you guys are are you locked in at about you know 14 or 15 or 17 years old Mm, um i you know it's funny i uh, talking about music i did rekindle my old music collection this week um and yeah i guess i did discover well rediscover artists that brought me back to my 1995 life I guess. Yeah. Would that be about right? Yeah, I, I just uh, it, it that seems to be the you know the case for most people, not everybody. Uh, and there's some some genres that never change. You know, like bluegrass has been bluegrass as long as there's been bluegrass. So, you know, today's bluegrass is as good as a hundred years ago bluegrass. And uh, you know, country music has always sucked. So you know, that's not really an issue. Um, <laughs> Man. Golly, you just you're starting early yeah. tonight, Mark. And, and it, I don't know to to comment I, on some of the things in the chat room. So, uh, you know, uh, Jinda saying um, his musical tastes are, are a little older. It it's not necessarily the music that was current when you were 15, but the music that you were listening to when you were 15. So, if you were listening to 20 year old music when you were 15, that's where you're stuck. Anyway, Seth, you were saying. I don't know. I was. It's weird. I had never listened to the eighteen twelve overture. So about I don't know thirty minutes ago, I just I pulled it up on YouTube and I played it, and I was like, "Wow, I probably have heard the entire thing." Because I mean, I was like, "Oh, I recognize that. Oh, I recognize that. Oh, I recognize that." So who knows really how old the music you listen to really is? Because I mean, let's face it, a lot of the music is just recycled and rebranded and remixed at a slightly different tempo. So. 
I don't know. I like the songs I used to like, and I don't like the songs I used to not like. And, you know, there's new songs today that are good and new songs today that are really bad. So, yay life, I guess. Anyway, enough of that diversion. Uh, we're not dead. The, I got some email uh, in. We we were off for two weeks ago. We got some email saying, no, no, you've pod faded. It's okay. We're still here. Um, we, we haven't faded. We may be fading. Uh, but we had... Uh, the last week was a planned week off. Um, I forget why, but it was a planned week off. And the week before that, I had a friend who needed help immediately. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had to go help. So we canceled the show for that. So we're back here this week. We're, we're all good. Um, but we are definitely going to be taking some di- time off in September and December. So, you know, uh, and with the uh, Thanksgiving coming up, just be prepared for us to be away for a while. But it's okay. We're not quitting you. At least not yet. We're just, it's just that time to, to miss some stuff because life gets in the way. So we're going to dry dock for repair and refit. (laughs) There you go. I mean, we used to try to just power through and record stuff early and, and, and we had varying levels of success with that. But in the end, it just ended up being more work than it was worth. You know, we, we didn't get the rest that we wanted. So I'm I'm work-life balance. Yada, yada. Um, anyway, also, I commented a few weeks ago that I was super excited that uh, Iron Fist got canceled because I thought it sucked so much. And uh, I told you at the time I was in the middle of like the third or fourth episode. I didn't realize it was only, uh, only a, an eight-episode second season. I finished it. I got to say, second season was really much better than the first. Not not super good, but good. Good enough that I would have been happy to see a third season continue that. So now I understand why people... Some people, a very small number of people, were upset that uh, Iron Fist went away because the second season really works. Um, you know, I mean, there are problems with it, uh, like they're they're going to be with anything based on a comic book, but so much better than the first one. So anyway, just going to say that. Uh, and then okay. also, I can't. Today is eleven eleven eighteen. It is Veterans Day. Uh, I just want to take a moment to. Uh, recognize those who are currently serving serving or have served our country or your country of choice uh in the military uh even if we are uh political enemies according to uh, our overlords i respect the service that you have done for your country i respect anybody who puts their life on the line to defend their homeland so props to you veterans day hoorah it would be awkward to do a minute of silence right now. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> I mean, but if someone wants to pause the show for a minute, we're totally okay with that. There you go. So. Press the pause button for 60 seconds and then come back. Right. And, it, you know, we're a global show. It's always difficult to uh, – we often take things in a very Amerocentric uh, mindset. But I do also recognize that there are other people from other countries who listening to this who may have served their country. And even if our countries are – technically enemies i respect your service so thank you for that um and this is not the day to honor the dead that's labor day i mean labor day memorial day this is the day to honor the living those who have served so it bothers me when people get that mixed up and seth your next statement here in the notes is honestly the first time i've seen anybody say this you are the one person who has had anything even remotely good to say about this movie which therefore proves that this movie is terrible because you always run contrary to what everybody else thinks. Tell us about Venom, Seth. 
I mean, you know, it was it was an okay movie. It was pretty good. It wasn't great. You know, it's not part of the uh, uh, MCU by any stretch of the imagination. But I was I was pleasantly surprised. This was one of my. There were two movies, and I didn't want to wait thirty minutes for the other one to start, so I went and saw Venom. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, there was some. You got. The science fiction, you know, um, CGI aspect of Venom, of Venom, but Tom Hardy, he's a really good actor and he, he plays his part really well. And I thought it was a good movie. You know, it's, it's, um, I don't know, not a great movie, but I enjoyed it. You know, my bar for movies are a lot lower than other people's, but I enjoyed it. It was a good movie. Glad I saw it. Uh, they previewed like kind of a multiverse Spider-Man thing that looks honestly super exciting and it looks like it'll be really good um i'm kind of looking forward to see but venom has a standalone movie um i think fox did a pretty good job on it all right for me uh, people you know they know i'm i'm into comic bookish movies and movies in general so several people have asked you know is is this you know have you seen this movie like right after the opening week have you seen it i'm like ah, not only have i not seen it I don't want to see it. Maybe when it's out on Netflix, maybe. I, I, that's one of those things that, that while it's a uh, one of the best characters, I think, in terms of overall depth and, and story arc in the comic books, I, I have been burned so many times of rich characters with awesome story arcs being ruined that, that I'm just not interested. And then when you take a Venom and divorce him from Spider-Man, which is now he's no longer Venom. He's some other thing that you're just calling Venom. So yeah, I'm not really all that interested. You know, like I would put it above the um, either of the second or third Iron Man movies because I really did not enjoy those at all. So that's where I would rank it against the MCU. All right. So I'm still mad at Vision. I mean, they took one of the most powerful characters in the entire marvel universe and basically made him comic relief for three movies yep i I will not disagree with that i vision is he is one supremely tough dude in the comics and then in the movie he was i don't know why did they do that to him (laughs) but anyway yeah well it's 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 the problem too when your character is too powerful you know, it's the Superman problem. You know, Superman is basically a god, and he's too right. powerful. So you end up having to dumb him down. And you know, sometime it, you know, Batman hits him with a kryptonite uh, loaded glove, and now he's more weak again. I mean, every Superman movie starts with Superman losing losing his power because otherwise he's too powerful. Right. Although I would love to see a Superman Dark Side. Because in, in the comics, you know, actually Darkseid is a little bit stronger than Superman. And so usually he can he can whip up on him and they can fight really good. I would love to see that I mean it probably would it probably would come to think of it, it would probably suck on the big screen, but it's a good fantasy of mine, mm-hmm. a good Superman Dark Side fight. Because they they blew abomination, just they made abomination mm-hmm. an abomination. So yes. All right, and and now, Miles, your uh, um, pop culture pick of the week is Homecoming. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have not. Oh, okay. This is really, really cool. Um, The the dude who made Mr. Robot, um, Sam Esmail, 
is uh, the guy behind this. And it's an amazing bit of work. I would say it's right up there with Stanley Kubrick. Um, this is cinematography at its finest. And uh, what they did was they took a podcast and turned it into a web series. I think it's got eight episodes. They're only 30 minutes long each, and they're on Amazon. So you can you can binge watch this one to your heart's content. But it's uh, it stars Julia Roberts, who I am not a Julia Roberts fan, right? I'm thinking Pretty Woman and stuff like that. It's not really my scene. But i got to say, she's incredible in this. Um, but she, anyway, the story behind this is that, and I'm trying to do this without doing any spoilers. So... Everybody, all the soldiers that come back from Afghanistan and Iraq who have PTSD issues, the DOD decides to outsource their therapy to a private company who create this kind of sort of department or division, um, separate company thing called Homecoming. And the idea is that these soldiers who come back with all these, you know, issues uh, get therapy. And the theory is that they, they're looking for success rates to reduce PTSD in the general, you know, community. That's the, the, the proviso. This is actually a psycho thriller. It's a real Alfred Hitchcock story. And you've got to watch it from the start. It's, it, it's done so much like Mr. Robot in that everything, the camera is like an actor in the in the series the people are actors the story is so well exposed and directed and it feels creepy and the reason why it feels creepy is the guy who did the music for it was uh, was a guy from Portugal who did the music to a TV series i mentioned a few shows back called Utopia which was an english kind of cyber thriller thing and this guy is really creepy so if you want to watch a show that you can't stop watching until the very end and it's going to freak you out, you've got to get to see this homecoming thing. This is probably the best TV I've seen for the whole year. It's incredible. All right. I will. I, I'm, psycho thrillers aren't my thing, but based on your recommendation, I'll check it out. Um, cool. it, it is a mark of deep love and respect for, for you guys that I – subject myself to things that i don't really care much about including a lifetime movie about zombies seth only because i love you so dearly would i even waste one valuable moment of podcast talking about a lifetime zombie movie you know i was surprised it was i was flipping through the channels and this was like the week before halloween when everybody does their all scary stuff and i was like i saw this zombie in the title and so of course i was like wait a minute this is lifetime. Why are they showing a zombie movie? But it was like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. And of course I always stay up super way too late before uh, going to church the next day. It's like, it's like, you know, my rebellion in me or something. But, and so I watched it and I was like, you know, I mean, okay, it's lifetime. So there, there, there's a lot of needless drama in it, but it was actually a pretty decent movie. It had a, it had a compelling is the wrong word, but it had enough of a story and it held together well enough that I was surprised it was actually, uh, and, and the premise is this girl had gotten bit by something and she was slowly becoming a zombie and she was trying to find a cure 
to, you know, keep her from, you know, going full blown zombie mode. And it was, I was like, it was kind of interesting. So it, it was a refreshing romp in the zombie genre. And if, if you're a fan of like zombies and stuff, I mean, check it out and see not again, this is not like great highbrow entertainment, but it was, it was interesting. And you know, Mark, this is one of those have it on while you're doing other stuff kind of movies. Um, I don't know. I thought, and you know, I, I posted on Facebook afterwards. I was like, so which one of these is a lie? Lifetime made a zombie movie. I watched said movie. The movie was actually pretty good. My girlfriend is mad. I watched it without her. And one of my Facebook friends actually in church the next day said, so you have a girlfriend now? <laughs> I was like, you don't know me at all. So I thought that was funny. And I want to talk about the movie basically just to get to that Facebook post. So right. sorry you had to endure that. I understand. I just, I don't do zombies in general. The only zombie movie I've ever enjoyed was one called Warm Bodies. I think I talked about it a while back. It's available all over the place uh, um, for couple bucks rental. It's basically, it's a it's a weird sort of comedic take on zombies and, and told by the point of view of a zombie. It's like narrated by the zombie. And, you know, it's like these guys are zombies wandering around an airport. One zombie sits down next to another zombie and goes, eh. And the other guy goes, eh, it's like, this is my best friend, Carl. We have great conversations with each other. And you know, it, it's a, it's a warm bodies. Check it out. It's, it's a, it's a nice take on the whole zombie thing. See, I kind of thought this, this one kind of made me think of that because it's somebody who realizes they're becoming a zombie and is looking for a cure to fix it. So it wasn't like full blown zombie walking dead type thing. It was just an, it was an interesting take on the zombie genre. All right, um, I'm going to skip the rest of this stuff, unless, Miles, you just really want to talk about uh, uh, <laughs> NAS and cloud storage. No, I just had my geek cred there, uh, but, you know. <laughs> uh, so let's look at uh, some some news stories from the recent times here. Um, and uh, I'm just going to confess to not having looked at any of these yet. Uh, so humans' knowledge to escape Earth's boundaries. There's my smooth intro. Okay, well, I mean, I did even less prep than before. I just basically kind of looked at the headlines and glanced at the articles. But there is a company called Space Chain. And on Monday, they announced a partnership with the Arch Mission Foundation to use open source technology to launch an ambitious project which involves storing large data sets in spacecraft and on other planets. So basically, you can back up the World Wide Web on like Mars or Jupiter. You know, I don't know how you would really recall information from that but you know you talk about off-site secure redundant data you know back this back that sucker up to an asteroid or a planet you know and maybe that's how you know you can get mars level backup or you can get you know asteroid level backup and do you want a named asteroid or do you want a numbered asteroid the named one costs more so i just thought it was interesting i mean it kind of like wait a minute, we're the world wide web. We're not the solar system wide web. And, you know, how would you even communicate with, with them over that long distance in any type of real time fashion? So I just thought it was an interesting story. Most of the stories I came across this week were kind of like, you know, humanity sucks. Um, so this one was just kind of an ambitious, you know, get your head off of the planet and look to the stars and maybe, you know, be inspired to do something. And so I thought, you know, that's an interesting story. I don't know if anybody's heard about it, but figured I would bring it up to the world. 
plentiful energy with storage. Uh, I would think heat dissipation would be fairly simple. Um, I don't know. Is that, does heat dissipate without a medium? I don't know. Some physics guy tell me, do you need air to dissipate heat or can heat dissipate easily in a vacuum? But anyway, that, it seems it seems to make sense, other than the astronomical expense of getting out of Earth's gravity well. Otherwise, I'm all for it. Is, is, this, you, is this Arch mission thing like Arch Linux? Is that, are <laughs> they related? If only there were a worldwide <laughs> repository of information. Um, I have no idea. Um, so the Arch Mission Foundation. I don't think so. Yeah, probably okay. not. Well, they're not doomed then. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a heady joke. Oh, <laughs> it's pronounced Ark. So right. think As of it. Yeah. Like the highest mission, the Archangel, that kind of thing. That's oh, what right. I'm getting. Uh, getting. Not the Ark is in, uh, you know, animals. Yeah, so they want to basically, you know, save the knowledge. If you can't save humanity, at least save our knowledge from an extinction-level event. So, This is very buzzwordy. <laughs> knowledge, space, satellites. Oh, wow. Yeah. They should have thrown some synergy and decentralization in there yeah. for, for so, extra effect. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, here's, here's the thing, Mark. You know, once once somebody has left the Earth and is out there building stuff and has developed nanotechnology to um, space form asteroids into server clusters, then you don't really have the cost of getting out of Earth's gravity well. You just point a laser, uh, you know, at a ship and the ship relays it through a series of satellites. And that's how you seed the, seed the solar system with data. Get those bits flowing. All right. So a quick Google search. Uh, convection doesn't work for dissipating heat, but um, radiation does. So you just turn things away from the sun, and it radiates heat out into space. So there you go. I was right that convection, because you need a medium, but radiation works. Basically, just expose a large surface area, and you're good. More than one way to dissipate a heat sink, buddy. <laughs> Where's Doctor Who when you need him? Oh, her. her. Sorry, her. Yeah. It's a you her Sexist. Now. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> So I want to skip a little bit and look at this one because this this is this interests me. It's a it's something we've talked about before, uh, and it just it's so comical at the same time. So um, net neutrality, uh, basically, um, Obama under his administration, uh, some actual net neutrality teeth, uh, uh, some some teeth were actually put to net neutrality, um, and then uh, pretty much immediately when um uh, trump administration came in those those were reversed these are oversimplifications uh it's not the point of the story uh california decided to flex its muscle at a state level and said we're going to impose net neutrality in california so if you're a business operating in california if you draw money in california even though the internet is a uh, global resource we can relic uh, we can regulate people who do business here we're going to require that you, uh, you that you be neutral in the way you handle people and the the internet service providers and and the big content guys are now trying to sue California over their state law because uh, you know, generally California, Texas, and New York, as they go, so goes the country. And so California has has said we're going to enforce net neutrality at the state level, and and the uh, the big guys say no, we want to be able to to rape people at will, but trust us, we won't do it. We just want to have the right to. Um, and so they, it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, this isn't our problem. 
Um, and so that's pretty much the whole story, but I like it. Well, actually, the, this article, the Supreme Court has rejected the um, the the um, process to appeal the challenge of the 2015 net neutrality rules. The, the okay, California no. state one is still pending before them, but this is just kind of how slow justice turns. They uh, said, we're not going to hear the appeal to it because it takes like four justices to hear the appeal and they can only get three to sign off. Two of them had to recuse himself because like Kavanaugh, he was involved with it at a lower court level. So he's like, yeah, it wouldn't be fair for me to be on it. So, um, so they, therefore they did not hear the challenge to the 2015 net neutrality case. So rather than settle net neutrality, they just kind of kicked it down the road a little bit. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm as much as I hate liberal idiocracy, I'm kind of rooting for California on the state thing. You know, so. it's a strange world when, when you're rooting and me too, that I'm rooting for California law. Yeah, because somebody has got to represent the person and quit taking pay. I'm sorry, not payoffs. You can't say they're bribing politicians. Just, you know, quit accepting the massive campaign contributions of the big businesses who utilize all their money to um, help reelect, you know, civic minded politicians and inflate their stock prices for buybacks. So therefore, they don't have any money to upgrade their network or get us better Wi-Fi speed. So Man, I hate to say it, but come on, California, just this one time. It's going to change. I mean, you know, Gavin Newsom got uh, elected for governor, I guess, for next year. Is it? Is that when uh, the current dude is uh, term limited or finishes up? And if, I don't know if you know who Gavin Newsom is. He's the lieutenant governor of California, but his background is in uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. He's a real techie kind of guy. He's a real progressive kind of guy. Um, if you're going to expect to see internet legislation coming out of California, just wait till next year. And we haven't even touched privacy stuff like they did in Europe. California is planning on doing the same sort of thing there as well. So if the Supreme Court is willing to sort of push it aside and go, nah, we don't want to get involved in this, just watch out. There's a lot more coming. Yep. And then and like unto it is this – And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not posting notes in the uh – chat room like i should be um the this next one i want to talk about is uh i like this one this ars technica article the the headline is the ugly truth about voting security states won't fix it and this this echoes something that i've said many times we can 100 percent secure electronic voting i mean we we've we have secure financial transactions uh on on a regular basis all over the place secure enough right the there are two problems with voting uh one is you know everybody um, wants to blame the other guy, and so there's the burden of proof for secure enough is impossible because whichever group is not in power will say it's not secure enough. I don't know why this benefits everybody, but we can't get together because we're all too busy being mad at the other guy to do the thing that should be relatively simple to do in a modern age. Uh, the problem exists not in the technology, not in the the system, but in the the fact that humans are in charge of it. Amen. And, uh, you know, if the problem, how do you, it's sad because they the people, the politicians are so clueless about the security and insecurity of the voting machines that they're just listening to what some staffer probably says. But yeah, these things are so easy because 
in the, the time it takes from, hey, we've made this machine, we would like it to be certified to use in elections, so, you know, they got to go to this one committee of this federal bureaucracy, and then they, by the time it gets around, I mean, we they would probably just now have approved Windows 95 voting machines, you know, so, and it's like, oh, crap, you know, the thing we wanted approval of, well, we found 17 serious flaws. But if we mention them, we start the process over again. So let's wait till it gets through and then fixes them. And then who's going to admit that they approve something with known flaws by, you know, authorizing the money to patch them. So you get these things out in the public being utilized, you know, that are just insecure as all get out. That's an easy way to say it, I guess. So. I don't know if that has anything to do with the story, but, well, you know. The real can't. issue is that nobody actually wants to fix it. Uh, because look look at what's going on right now in Georgia and Florida. Uh, the Those two, uh, voting was, you know, it'll be a week in a couple of days. Five days ago, voting was quote unquote ended. We're still counting and we're still recounting and the 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 numbers are close. Uh, it's like, you know, less than 2% in both of these races. When everything is digital, that is decided the second the polls close and no politician can argue about it. You can't grandstand. You can't say every vote should be counted. Once there's a, a fully secure uh, a digital uh, voting system, which, by the way, fully secure means not networked. Um, so, But it's entirely possible to do that. You could have within a couple of hours of the polls closing, it's entirely possible to have a, a, a perfectly secure, uh, uh, secure enough, put it that way, voting system. But nobody wants to do that because once we have that, or even the internet voting, there are secure ways to internet vote, but nobody wants that because once you have it, you can't complain. And complaining and recounting and revoting and claiming that people are being just disenfranchised is the biggest weapon that all politicians have in elections right now. Well, you know, but I don't... Um, go ahead, go Miles. Ahead, no, I was no, say, you I, go. I'm not sure if I completely agree with that. I mean... The, the problem we've got with, with voting machines is that we have to skew to the lowest common denominator. And what, what I mean by that is the, is the constituent, the voter, who doesn't know how to use a machine, and they're out there, I mean, they're rare, but they're out there, or who doesn't have an internet connection. Yeah, they're rare, but they're out there, and there might be, I don't know, Native American Indian tribes that don't have internet, for example, that need to participate in voting. Um, we have to skew to the lowest possible common denominator. And often, like in Arizona, a big part of our voting is done with mail-in ballots. We get sent out these blank ballots, we fill them in and we put them back in the envelope and send them back in. They have to be, they have to be physically scanned and the signature has to be verified and there's a whole bunch of hoops that people have to jump through in order to be able to make sure that people get the opportunity to vote. If they've got one day to do it and the internet's down or their web browser's not working or the computer goes, you know, dead on them or they can't get to the polls or whatever, if you deny somebody the right to vote by not skewing to the lowest possible common denominator here, you it doesn't matter how secure your machines are. If you can't get to the machine or you can't get on the internet, then that's at fault. And as far as machines go, um, in 2004, I was, I, I was involved in some, in some software that did service repair scheduling work. 
And I actually worked with one of the largest um, machine voting machine manufacturers um, out of Kansas. I actually went on site there and worked with them while they were implementing this service system. And I watched the faulty pallet loads of machines come back in from these guys. And I got a chance to see what was inside of those machines. It's disgusting. It was like Microsoft Access software. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it was completely hackable. And how this could even be sold to somebody and they would buy this rubbish is the reason why we don't have voting machines right now. There's no there's no incentive to create an uber-secure voting machine because the free market isn't given enough money to do so. And, and the problem is that until we create um, a dynamic which will create an uber-secure system like a bank ATM – I mean, a bank wouldn't have a vulnerable ATM out there, and we don't have we have vulnerable um, voting machines. We don't have an incentive to do it. So the two issues still stand. One is you've got to support the lowest common denominator user, and the second is you have to incentivize somebody to create a highly secure DoD level voting machine. And somehow the motivation in both fronts just isn't there. Well, and that was my point. It's not that we. Uh, uh, we we can do it. You know we can do it. It can be done, but nobody wants it to be done for a number of reasons. You know, uh, if you took, let's say, a third, that seems like a nice reasonable number, of all the money was spent on political advertising in between uh, October and November of 2018, that money alone would be enough to create a really high-quality voting system. You know, the, the money is there. The technology is there. We know how to do it. Uh, the, the, like you said, the, the will is not there. And, and I don't think it's a, I think it's a political will. And, you know, the things that, you know, the people who don't have internet access, so we could have an electronic machine for those and we carry them out there. And that's the way we do it now. Um, and, you know, the internet can be one part of it. Uh, in fact, you know, I don't really care about internet voting. I, I like the idea that people have to go to the polls. But once they get there, there's no reason they can't have a secure, you know, a verifiable blockchain type thing that that makes sure their vote is always right and is incontrovertibly accurate. We could have that by the next election. We got two years before the next uh, full term election. That's plenty of time to develop this if we threw any kind of desire at it. It's not sexy. That's the problem. I mean, it's not. If if you want to be a software developer on a really cool project. Go and write a missile guidance system for the military, or a you know an aircraft you know pl- uh, automated flying system, or go work for Uber or something like that. I mean, those are sexy projects. Writing a kiosk level voting machine, how boring! That's the perfect government job, and that's why we've got really crappy voting yeah. machines. But if the federal government put up, say, a billion dollars. And said, "There's, there's the, uh, there's a billion dollars available to the person who presents this thing. There's your your incentive, and then after that, you get the exclusive contract for ten years to produce these things. Um, that billion dollars is, uh, you know, a fraction of what is spent on elections already, and and and, and could solve it. You could provide that incentive and give not just America but the whole world a tool that that is valuable." This sounds like a job for IBM and Red Hat. Yeah, I, but there's no there's no reason for it. There's no cent- incentive to it. That's the that's the whole thing. And I just I think the the problem is my point of view is that nobody's actually interested in solving the problem because once you've solved the problem, what do you have to complain about? 
it's just, I mean, it's so hard because, you know, like you talked about the security of the financial system and we've brought story after story about how insecure the financial system is and the billions and billions of dollars that are taken, you know, in theft and the bank to bank network and all of that sort of stuff. But insurance covers that because they want to present the illusion of, you know, your transactions settle instantaneously. But yet, you know, it can take several days for a credit card transaction to actually settle. You know, you do an automatic transfer from your bank and it can still take a couple of days, but it gives the illusion of instantaneous funds. And while that might be good enough for the monetary system, that's not good enough for the voting system. The voting system needs to be 100%. And it's not 100% now. It's, it's, there's so much graph and corruption. You know, it's amazing mm -hmm. whenever ballots are, are found after an election is over and they happen to be all for one party in this state and all for a different party in another state. Nobody knew they were there until our candidate lost, but wait, we found in the back room mailbag 17,000 ballots in this 5,000 person town and they were all for our party. So we win by 17 votes and, you know, and there's just so much crap that happens now. And if you add the into, if you add electronic voting, you're not eliminating crap, you're adding crap and you'll get buried in crap twice as fast. So I, I don't know how to fix it, but man, I know it needs to be fixed. Mm. So, does it? Does it need to be fixed? Uh, I mean, you know, we 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 are looking. I've I've say all the time at work. You know, I work in a business where uh, we're um, we're often consultants to the businesses that we go into, and one of my favorite mantras is: let's not try to use technology to solve a human problem. Right. Instead of restricting the capacity of this user to do that, just tell the user don't do that, and you're fired if you do. Um, you know, and and because technology, trying to trying to manage human behavior with technology is is always bound to fail. Yeah, you know, managing human behavior with incentive uh, is much more successful. Uh, so you know, let's you know, I don't know that electronic voting is the right way to do this. It, it may or may not be, um, but. The problem, the, the real question is, does anybody actually want this problem to be fixed? Uh, do we need a better system? Should we still all go back and just fill everything out on paper, just plain old scantrons or not even that, just paper and have somebody count them? Um, I'm okay with the process being slow. I mean, there's a reason the elections are in November and they, they take effect in January, because when the, when the country was young, it took two months to get this stuff done. Uh, so maybe maybe we should just go back and stop trying to improve on something uh, when really the, the solution is humans and not technology. Yeah, you might be onto something there, Mark. Um, I think the problem is that we've got this massive run-up process that can be six months before an election and all of the parties are out there raising billions of dollars of money to buy TV ads and every form of media ad they can to create this, you know, us versus them war on the opposition and it becomes a two-team sporting event and at the end of the day everyone goes out on the last day and they vote and they want to know what the result is that night like they're watching the Super Bowl on TV and that's 
probably the issue right there because it's when you want to incorporate everybody, I mean, you want to be, everybody has the right to vote. Everybody should be involved. How do you count them accurately in a couple of hours after this has been done? I mean, that's isn't that unrealistic? Maybe we should be having the vote on the Tuesday and then saying, okay, we will announce the results two weeks from now. And if we set that expectation in people's minds, two weeks, the vote results come out, and that's when you have your big, you know, Super Bowl vote party. Hmm. <laughs> Seth is really thinking hard about that. I, I don't know. I... Um I mean, we do, we do live in an instant society, definitely in terms of uh, popularity. That that would not be a thing. Our, our society wants things instantly, and that's you know that my mind immediately went to internet voting because you know th- that's a thing we can do and we can get immediate results. Um, but you know, maybe the problem is that we're so the only way to I, I started to say be absolutely certain you can never be you have to accept that there will be a certain amount of error and a certain amount of corruption. Those two things are unavoidable. Unavoidable. It can't be done no matter what system you do. So, you know, I think we first need to admit that, that there has never been a free and fair and accurate election ever in the history of humanity. It's never happened. It will never happen. There will always be error and there will always be um, corruption. Can If we just accepted that, what would what would things do? Now, now everybody... You know, uh, maybe if, if we just threw out, you know, the 2% margin of error and everybody had a runoff, like in Georgia right now, where whether it's in uh, 2%, you just throw out all the votes and start over again. Hmm. Maybe that's what we need to do. Well, we, the problem is, the problem isn't voting. The problem is that Americans love to reduce everything to an absurdly simple level. And we think doing our civic duty of being involved in politics solely consists of going to the polls to vote. Good point. So we don't, I mean, we're forced to choose between the rotten and the rancid because we let them, we let the parties push through because we're not involved. There's there's a handful of people who have agendas. And again, I'm not talking about, I mean, the right side has an agenda. The left side has an agenda. The centrists have an agenda. The globalists have an agenda. The isolationists have an agenda. Everybody has an agenda. You have an agenda. I have an agenda. But the small number of people who are influencing the process to tailor it down and present us with these two options. And we think, oh, I did my duty because I showed up somewhere on the first Tuesday in November and voted. Woohoo! I'm a super duper politically informed American. Really? Really? I mean, you know, are you concerned? Do you hold your representatives accountable? I mean, do they know, you know, are you involved in the political process year round? Now, does that mean going to every meeting and are you writing your senator every day? Twice? You know, I, I'm not talking about being absurdly stupid in the other direction, but you can't think that five minutes on one day is going is doing your duty as an American. And well, as long as we think that, well, we deserve what we get, really. While I applaud everything you just said and agree with it, I don't see how it's relevant. The fact is we, we live in a country where everybody gets a vote 
and you know whether it's a an intelligent vote doesn't really matter it, well you know the underlying assumption is if we were more involved in the process the the candidates wouldn't be the lesser of two evils they would be the lesser of two goods yeah. You know, the winner wouldn't be the lesser of two evils. The loser would be the lesser of two goods. But because we don't care until the last minute, you know, it's like, you know, that person is the Antichrist and that person is just the Antichrist servant. So we'll go with them and hopefully it won't be so bad. You know, that's that's why it matters. I'm definitely tired of holding my nose to place a vote. You know, that that that's that's a thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we've got to, uh, I think that it all comes down to getting money out of politics. I mean, getting money out of the whole voting process, this whole, you know, who can raise the most money is the likely winner of the day. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. There's no room for uh, third parties or multiple parties to come in because they can't raise the capital. And it shouldn't be about money. It should be about purpose and, and issues and you know what what they're standing for and uh, sure you want to hear what they all have to say but do we need six months worth of tv ads all the time and they're not telling you what party a is trying to say and what party b is trying to say it's just a slagging off b and b slagging off a and this is this is our voting system Mm. this is it's been reduced to a kindergarten brawl with billions of dollars at stake it's got nothing to do with voting if we could just get back to a, a, a get the money out of there and get back to issues and get back to why people you know have an interest in something because they're talking about it real issues that affect real people, we might get get our country back. You know, okay, I've got on my rant now. Yeah, I, I, I'm again. I have to be in a position of I agree with what you say, but I think it's irrelevant. Uh, the the money in in. Uh, uh, voting or whatever that's because it works i can't i can't fault people for doing what works the the fact is the more money i spend yelling at my opponent the more likely i am to win now, we need to change the heart of the people but getting money out of politics to use that exact quote that's a very popular thing doesn't change the heart of people it does it, it just limits people um i just think that's uh, uh well-intentioned but misguided well, I, I guess the the cause the the um, the effect of doing that that I would hope for is to have a third and a fourth and a fifth party option uh, to come out and be able to have an equal say, an equal debating time, an equal opportunity to present a case. So it's not about blue versus red; it's about all the colours, and you choose the one that's most suitable for you. I, mean, I think the fact is most people who vote. You know, and by most, 50.1% counts as most. Most people who vote don't vote based on um, the candidate's overall point of view. They vote on one or two things at best. Like, this guy is anti-abortion, therefore he gets my vote. This this person is a, a black woman, therefore she gets my vote. Um, and, you know, it's the single issue sort of thing, and it's it's the complete ignorance. It would be nice if we spent billions of dollars educating people. But I think that the reality is nobody actually cares. How do we get people to care? Maybe then all these problems go away. It's, um, you know, I'm a 
I'm a, a, a man of faith, uh, so I, I refer back to the Bible uh, whenever possible. Um, uh, the Apostle Paul told his, told his young friend Timothy to live your life in such a way that when people say bad things about you, nobody will believe you. Um, are pollsters, are people, Seth, that you were talking about, the, the people who run the polls, the people who run the elections, should be people of such high integrity that when somebody alleges fraud, nobody will believe it. Trouble is, it's hard to find those people. We need to fix the nation before we can fix the nation. Amen. I'm preaching to the choir here. So um, I don't I don't know what to do. You know, it's one of those I would love to say, you know, remember the good old days of American politics. But, man, if you read the stories of there aren't the, the turn of last century, you know, at least now there aren't, you know, gangs running through the street beating up people who are gonna go out to vote opposite them you know and you don't have the tweed ring and tammany hall in new york i'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen at least it's kind of happens behind closed doors and it's not everybody knows about it only select people know about it now so you know it's one that i'm pining for the way things never were the dream <laughs> that's the, dream, the title of the show yeah the dream behind the document rather than the reality the document became so i mean you know that's kind of heady and thoughts but it's all those stupid critical thinking podcasts i'm listening to now so they're really messing with my mind well it, it's also interesting to note that of all three of us on this show we all come from a state that had an had a, such a either it hasn't yet decided on what its candidates are based on votes, or it was so razor thin the margin. And we were, we're all, for the first time probably in history, we all live in swing states, mm. Georgia, Texas, Arizona. We're all swinging from side to side. I mean, the, we haven't even got a vote count in Arizona yet, and yet every day at 5 p.m., the uh, election issues the – we're almost there. We're going to be there by the 14th of November, and here's who's leading. We're about to be a Democratic senator state for the first time since 1974 or something. I mean, this is crazy. And and I'm sure, Georgia, you, you guys are back into recounts right now, right? Now, um, we still haven't quite counted all the votes yet. We're, uh, we're, we're about 90 plus, 95 or so percent of the precincts reporting. And what's and the status if, if I could just throw an, another rant on the fire, all of you liberals who screwed up your state, get out of Texas and go back to where you came <laughs> from. I mean, an, an anti-gun person, they shouldn't even been on the ballot. You know, there was a day when a Texas Democrat was more conservative than like a Vermont Republican. And now I don't how could we. I mean, come on. This is Texas, people. How can you have an anti-gun person almost win a statewide office? So all of you people who ruined California and New York and New Jersey, <laughs> go back there. You know, Seth, and, you haven't been to Austin lately, have you? <laughs> no, I, I will trade California, Austin for Irvine. Straight up swap. You can have Austin give us Irvine and we'll call it good. No, I've been to Austin and that's why what happened, the toll road around Austin was originally supposed to be a wall, but that failed and there was only enough money to build a tollway so you don't have to go through, you can go around. So, um, all right, so I, I stand corrected. As of 9.45 p.m. last night, the votes were counted uh, at 100%. It's 50.3% for Republican Brian Kemp, 48.8% for Democrat Stacey Abrams, and 0.9% for Libertarian Ted Metz. 
So even if, you know, uh, the, what, what is that? Uh, 1.7, math is hard when you're talking. 1.7%, less than 2%. And so I, I don't know what the rules are in Georgia. I'm still relatively new to the state. I haven't looked all that stuff up. Uh, but I know at some point, there's a mandatory recount if the numbers, you know, aren't high enough. Uh, but even if you recount it and you come out as 50 and 48.8, so let's say for the sake of argument, that is a hundred percent accurate. We, we, this is, this is not a winner, right? Even though it's a 50.3, even though he got the, all of the, the, the majority of the popular vote, all, all the things that people say that they'll say things like there's no mandate or half the people or, or disenfranchisement, um, that, this result is meaningless, you know, and the, the Republican who by all the numbers, or excuse me, the Democrat who by all the numbers has been defeated is saying, I refuse victory is, is within our grasp. How is victory within your grasp? How are you going to dip that, get that? How many times do we recount until you win? How many new votes do we find? And it, it goes back to Florida 2000. It was the same thing. Everything was done. Everything had been certified, but we need to count all the votes. How many times do we have to count the votes? And this goes back to my point that nobody actually wants to fix the system. Stacey Abrams doesn't want the system to be fixed because if, if this is accurate, she's done. And she doesn't want it to be accurate. She wants to be able to, to, to play the game of politics and corruption and say you know, that, that people didn't do things right. Because if this is accurate, she loses. And people are unwilling to accept defeat. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to rant at all about that, but I did. No, I mean, I didn't. I, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't know this was going to turn into a political show. <laughs> I thought either. this was going to turn into a security show. Um, but yeah, so here's, you know, uh, it's man, politics is hard. Um, I need a nap. Let's go back to kindergarten. <laughs> I love your line yearning for the way things never were. I, I, I wish we had. I may have to go back and change the show title for that. Um <laughs> Anyway, we, we've de- we've devolved into rambling as we do at this point. Uh, so uh, I'm going to move on. We're already over our uh, allotted time. The, there were lots of cool stuff there that we could have talked about. We're not going to. So I'll simply say, Seth, what happened this week in history? I, I don't know. Oh, you I don't totally, have one. I totally forgot to do it this week in history. Well, so. I can tell you, this week in history, there was an election. And somebody was unhappy with the results. That's the this week in history. Wow, I it, it didn't occur to me until you were wrapping up, and I was like, "Oh crap, he's going to ask me what happened this week in history," and I don't have a clue. So, something, Mark, sometime in the past, on this date or thereabouts, some important event happened, and now back to you. <laughs> wow, Seth, that's fascinating. I appreciate how you always uh, bring the goods on such a <laughs> such a regular basis. Um, I'm excited to. Uh, You know, in in Seth's defense, we did cover this week in history when we did the Veterans Day thing. That's true. There you go. Yeah. The start of halftime of the Great War. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, Miles, I'm interested in your take as a non-native North American. Um, Does uh, does 1111 at 1111 carry the same impact in Australia as it does in Europe? Because here in the U.S., it's 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 a historical footnote. No, it is. Yeah, we have the same, you know, silence and the respect for the veterans. And um, I think now, gosh, I'm going to really not do uh, do justice to my background. We have a thing called Remembrance Day in Australia, and it's probably the same thing. Uh, I can't remember whether it's the same date or whether it's the same thing, but I'm pretty sure it's identical. And um, 
You know, Australia, uh, the one thing about World War One uh, with Australia was Gallipoli and the Anzacs. That was a huge thing for us. Uh, it was a major disaster, um, huge amount of casualties. Australia suffered enormously in World War One in terms of casualties because it has very close ties to Britain being a Commonwealth country. And um, I, I remember growing up, I had grandparents and uncles and people who were who either had a direct or an indirect association with World War One uh, and so and many members of you know family going back multiple generations uh, we lost a number of people in my family in World War One um, my godfather was a Navy commander um, and he was in World War Two not World War One but um, yeah there's a lot of history there and because of our close association with England, uh, we were brought right into the war. So yeah, it's it's very a sensitive topic, just as it is here, um, and it's one of those things where we went in early because of obligation to Mother England, um, rather than being called in at the last minute, well not the last minute, but being called in towards the end of the war to stop it in effect, which was a wonderful thing that that came out of the United States. So. Um, yeah, it's a sensitive topic for everyone down there and everyone's remorseful about what happened and why it happened, uh, but it did, and what do you do? Yeah, so Seth, here's your This Week in History. So in, in the U.S., we call it Veterans Day. Um, in in uh, most of Europe, it's uh, Remembrance Day. Uh, so what happened on 11-11 that makes us celebrate our soldiers on this day? Uh, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month uh, in 1918, the war, World War I, the Great War, the war to end all wars, was officially concluded with a signed peace treaty um, in France where Germany capitulated uh, to World War I. So, Mark, that happened this week in history, and now back to you. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and, and now it seems frivolous, but uh, Seth, what do you have uh, to uh, interest us this week? Okay, well, I wanted to share my Christmas wish with everyone. Um, if you cannot find all of your shopping needs at elementopie.com slash Amazon, you can perhaps go to thisiswhyimbroke.com. <laughs> And the link references um, this. It's called the Ultimate Bed Enclosure System, and it just looks cool, and I wish I had it in my room. So it's a couch, bed, uh, chase lounge, just awesomeness thing. And anyway... Just take a look at it, and there's all kinds of stuff on this website. You can find weird gifts for him, for her, uh, geeky stuff. And there's, you know, things under $20 as well. But this is why I'm broke.com. Um, and, you know, like I say, if you can't find it on elementop.com slash Amazon, maybe go here and take a look. I love how there are lounging cushions next to the bed so that you can get out of bed but not actually be hor uh, vertical. You could still be horizontal. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I've never been a stay in bed all day person. Uh, my 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 sixteen year old that the bed is her happy place. She would be there all day. She would eat all her meals in bed. She would take all of her entertainment in bed. And I understand there are people like that. I am just not one of them. I, I have to get up and and get out and and at least at the very least sit on a sofa. Yeah, well, you know, th this could be like a sofa at the back, but. Anyway, you, if you click in, if you're listening to us, you have to go uh, to the show notes and click on the link and just see why this bed rocks. Yeah. All right. Um, somebody on 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 
somebody somewhere i don't remember where suggested that each of us should have a uh, a christmas wish list for for uh supporters of the show who might wish to buy us a trinket Ooh. um and uh, I thought that was a great idea, and I'm guessing that somebody might be the the one person who might want to do that. Um, but I will say, if you go to elementop.com and click the uh, tip jar at the top and make a PayPal payment, you can put in there, um, this goes to Miles, or th- and this goes to Seth. And, and you just have to trust me that I'm not a corrupt politician who will take the money. Uh, but I will uh, forward that money on. Uh, but what do you guys think about that? Should we maybe next week? Should we uh, come up with our our wish list? Uh, should the audience uh, want to chip in together and buy us a uh, day of driving tanks or something? Sure. I think we should we should have like an under ten and under twenty five and under one hundred and then uh, like somebody won the lottery and wants to spend some on us kind of thing. So yeah, we could try that. I mean. Uh, I, I, I don't want much in the world, so that would be interesting. And honestly, the, the things that I would want would be new gear for the show. But right. I'll put it out there. Um, anyway, that coming soon to a show near you are wish lists. But if you don't want to wait, you can go to patreon.com slash elvinopi and just uh, uh, pledge a buck a show. That's all I ask. Buck a show. Is this show, is this uh, 57 or so minutes so far? Uh, has this been worth a buck to you? Think about it. I mean, you, you probably tipped your waitress uh, more than that for less time uh, serving you. Did the time that we served you today, was it worth a dollar? Go to patreon.com, pledge a buck for the show. And if it's not worth a dollar, why the heck are you listening? Go do something better with your time. Why am I? Why are you letting me waste your time if it's not worth a dollar? All right. That's all I got to say about that. Thanks, guys, for what was an interesting show. I, none of this was, a, like you said, Seth, it wasn't supposed to be political. It was supposed to be security-oriented or, or news-oriented. But, you know, the news of the day is the fact that there is an election that is a week old and still ongoing. Uh, so we talked about it. Um, listener, if there's something you'd like us to talk about, you can go to elementopi.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest captcha, then uh, fill out the form there, and uh, let, let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're probably going to do a couple more shows this year. Um, we'll take December off. We'll come back next year refreshed and ready to go. So get those in sooner rather than later. Seth Miles, any final words of wisdom for the evening? We really put the rant back in Geek Rant today. Yes. I have no wisdom. All right. Plenty of words, but no wisdom. That is true. All right. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. Uh, Jinda and uh, I've already gotten his name, Island something or other. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us in the chat room. Uh, we appreciate um, you uh, you hanging out with us, listener. Uh, you are the reason that we do this, and so we certainly appreciate that. And uh, we'll see you next week, because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Remember, pay for what you like. <laughs>